Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Board Gaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode of the podcast, we're going to bring a topic to you that has been uh, weighing heavily on my mind as of late. Um, this should have already been mentioned on a, one of the podcasts that went out. But uh, just a couple of days ago, my wife and I had an offer accepted so that we could buy our first house. And uh, we are first generation home buyers, so we are even more excited and nervous uh, than most folks are. And it's really exciting, and there's all sorts of uh, sort of feelings flying around. Um, however, one of the more exciting bits that's sort of podcast adjacent is I get a full hobby room to hobby in to cover painting and building and we're gonna have a room to play games in and uh kind of brought up a whole bunch of questions in my head of if i have a full room to hobby in how do i want to build my hobby space when do i need a hobby space what would help make my hobby space that i currently have better and uh before you know it i thought that maybe we could do a full podcast episode on it because uh john i definitely think we can yeah i mean john i don't think a whole lot of people consider it too much at least I did it when I started hobbying. Well, I think that when people first start getting into this, they think of, you know, well, it's, oh, well, you got brushes, you got paints, you got lights. Maybe I need something to, like, keep me occupied with, like, headphones or, like, TV while I'm painting. Maybe, you know, I have limited space. But there's ways to make any space work. And also, there's a benefit to having a larger space. And, and like, nobody really talks about why mm -hmm. and what are some good things to do. Yeah, and I mean, I think specifically, what pitfalls not to do? Because uh, John and I definitely were not starting out in the best foot. Um, we have we have done some big goofs when it comes to our hobby space. Yeah, sometimes not having one at all, and it it was rough. So we want to try to take that experience and maybe bring it to you guys for some tips on what not to do, and maybe some ideas on what to do to improve, and hopefully at the end. Maybe you could give me advice on what I might do with a whole room to hobby in. I've never had that much space, so uh, I'd appreciate it. But first, talk about hobby and games played. All right, John. Hobby progress, games played. What you been up to? So, avid listeners of this show will know that I've been working on Stormcast. And shocking literally nobody... <laughs> It hasn't changed. I'm still working on Stormcast. Uh, most of the base coat's done. I've done a lot of the shading. And now mm -hmm. I'm going in and doing details. Um, and I'm trying a little bit harder to be crisp with these guys than my more, like, I won't want to say sloppy, but, like, with Skaven, if you get a little bit here and there in other places, it ends up being a happy accident. Yeah, it doesn't matter when you're in that volume of uh, models. Yeah, and doing Stormcast, I'm trying to be a little bit cleaner, a little bit more, how do I put it, just crisp, crisp. I want them to be crisp. Um, I'm not familiar with non-metallic metal like techniques, so I'm not doing that, but mm -hmm. I think they look better than most of my other stuff when it comes to like crispy, and 
yeah, it's just been it's it's also been a learning experience having to learn how to paint in gold, especially if I'm trying to do like different shades of gold throughout and like have subtle lighting effects that aren't like super pronounced. Yeah, painting in mostly gold, it's definitely its own challenge. Uh, it's something I kind of had to get used to using custodies. Um, but you just, it you have to be very deliberate to get the differentiation you need to make a model not look like just kind of like a puddle of gold. Um, but if you pull it off right, it looks great. Yeah, and like, I, I feel like the, I'm doing like Hammers of Sigmar colors, so it's like gold, blue, white. And so yeah. I get to have a little bit of leeway there. I think that scheme's easier to do than some of the other ones. Like I think gold and red, though looks very pretty, is more difficult to do. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. And the other thing I'm going to struggle with is metallics on the gold. Like, because they have like little scale mail skirts that they have, like in between their their um, like knee pads uh-huh. that are going to have to be silver, and so. I'm, I, I don't want, you know, when you put too many metallics on one thing, it ends up being very harsh to look at. Yeah, there's very little gradient in Zenithal because usually the metallic paints are, they're, they aren't translucent or, yeah, that's the way I want to say that. Uh, they don't allow Zenithal to show through underneath them. There you go. I'll phrase it that way. Pro podcasters. Um, yeah. But I think it's that quality that makes them look so one note and kind of harsh because you just can't see the subtle gradients yeah and so i'm hoping that some of the like details really make them like tie them together and break it up just enough that you don't like not focus on the details like i'm gonna have the spear shafts be like a red like a darkish red Mm -hmm. which won't draw the eye but it will break up all of the gold and same thing with like the uh tassels on the head Mm -hmm. and just stuff like that trying to make it not just so much of a punch in the face of gold yeah i get that i think it'll look all right i mean i gave you that gold recipe that is fire um and that combined with some details i think it'll look pretty darn good yeah and uh i'm gonna do all of the stormcast first and then yanastra uh she's She's special, and I want her to look special. <laughs> On the other hand, though, I'm also looking at the like new releases, and I'm just very excited for those dragons. Oh my like, god, there's... I was going to have to include that in my hobby progress, because I spent many a time dreaming about dragons, brother. Oh. Yes, the dragons are top-notch. I almost was like, I gotta strip all my Stormcast and make them red to, to match the red dragon, <sighs> but I didn't do it. John, I, did, I wish I all I did it. was think about stripping my armies. For the viewers out there who don't know, I love dragons. They're such a, they're a cool fantasy thing, okay? They're just freaking cool. And they have been since I was real young, and uh, I still have my, like, third ed D&D Dragonomicon poster that hung on my wall when I was young. I just didn't have the heart to throw it away. And, uh, like, even as a kid, I was enamored with the idea of these cool ancient beings that flew through the sky and... Killed Matthew McConaughey and Rate of Fire. You know, the good stuff. And, uh, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. And I I don't think GW will give this to me because they're cowards. But I, I'd give up everything for a Dragon Army, John. I'd risk it all for a Dragon Army. 
I would windmill dunk my models into Mount Doom to get a dragon army, okay? I would like Mike all of my other shit into the Marianas Trench to get a dragon army. <laughs> I would do horrible, horrible, unspeakable evils to get a full dragon army. And I don't think they're going to give it to me. But man, is it! I spent a lot of time this week pondering what that army might look like. And it was a great little thought experiment. Um, and I do like the two dragons we did get. The only thing I don't like about them is I looked at their faces. And then for the next three days in my head, I've been singing the song, Dragon Tales, Dragon Tales. And like, I can't get it out. It's there forever. Thank you, GW. You've done this to me. Um, yeah, I I really like that they gave these dragons personality. I'm how do I I know some old Warhammer fantasy players, some of you might be listening, are gonna go, they don't look dark enough. But I think that these dragons are a really good like representation of how different Age of Sigmar is from fantasy uh, and how much character they're gonna bring is pretty great. Oh, yeah, and I think uh, for the people who don't think dragons should be characterful, you could suck my never-ending story. Like, just come on now. Come on. Give them some features. Let them look like they feel things. It's okay. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Um, and I like that also the, the princes are very different from one another. Uh, just from that, like, trailer we saw. Very, very different types of critters. And I'm very curious how they're going to get implemented in the game as a whole. Um, my leading theory, uh, I think that obviously Blue Boy is going to end up in Stormcast Eternals. I think that one's fairly obvious with, you know, the Stormcast Eternal necklace and the bracers. Um, I think that's just the case. But the other guy is unmarked. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's an ally that could slip into any order army. But we'll see. We'll see. I, obviously... Stormcast Eternals books right around the corner, so we won't be waiting long to find out. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for it, and I'm still excited about the vulture birds too. Um, lots of big critters in AOS. Like, I'm just gonna take a second. I know this is hub of progress. It's not like the topic of the show. I really love that Age of Sigmar went. We don't care about undead right now. We don't we don't care about chaos really. Like not 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 a huge thing. Big monster. It is just kaiju fights galore in Age of Sigmar, and I'm a huge fan. I love it. I mean, obviously, for our 2.0 wish list, that was one of the things really high on the list. So I'm tickled pink. Give me all the monsters. Give me huge monsters. I want monsters for everybody. Keep them coming. They look great. Um, I, I'm just I'm tickled pink every time one pops up on my feed. Yeah, it's... I... I have no more words. Like, I w there's so many more things I want to say about these dragons, but I can't because we don't have them in front of us and we don't have the book in front of us or more knowledge about them. We're going to end rules. up doing a whole episode about just these dragons. Like, it's going to be the dragons episode. <laughs> I'm gonna, John, if we do that, it's going to turn into an episode of how I would make a full dragon army. And that's just wanton speculation. It's not, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to hear me write a fake made-up army that doesn't exist. Although, if I'm wrong, let me know. Um, for me, as I mentioned last week, uh, it has been a slow hobby progress time because we are in the middle of getting our first house. And tonight, I just spent four hours going to five 
different furniture stores. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a great, great time. Not great time for hobbying. Uh, however, I did get some hobby done. Uh, for a while now, I have had sort of my Beast Claw Raiders, the monsters and mounts put together, and many of them painted and ready to go, but not the riders. So I took some time when I could get it, and I clipped them and finished magnetizing them and got them glued together, so now they are ready to be painted when I have the time to do so. Um, now it just comes down to actually getting time. But, you know, right now that seems to be coming at a premium. And uh, I haven't played any games, however, I got some scheduled for this upcoming weekend, so hopefully I have some uh, stories to bring back next week. Well, we have to hold him to that. You know, gotta do that hobby. I'm trying, I'm trying, but I'm also trying to get a big hobby space in the house. And I can't tell you how much I have worried over what color a hobby room should be. I don't have an answer. I I could pick out, like, living room paints and game room paints and bedroom paints and kitchen paints. That was all real easy. But then I got to having to pick a paint for the hobby room. Can't do it. Dragon paints, Stormcast paints, card oh, yeah, I got paints. Those. I got those locked. Absolutely locked. But I look at like, what do you want to paint the walls in this hobby room? And my brain just screams. And it sings the song Dragon Tales for ten minutes. So, I don't know. I'm hoping I, I come up with an answer before I move into the house. But uh, hopefully, I if I figure it out, I can bring it to you guys. And if y'all have ideas, please send them my way. I've uh, started looking into some of the uh, stuff that talks about uh, colors and emotions. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll use some of those to factor into a way to make the room kind of vibrant and creative. You know, because I need all that I could get. But for now, back to the full topic. John. So I guess we should probably start with the very beginning and talk about what is a hobby space, so to speak. What all does it encompass for you when I say the word hobby space? So for me, hobby space is it's really easy on a basic premise. It is a space in which you are going to paint and build and work on miniatures. Whether that's a desk, whether that's a small table, whether that's an entire room, it is that space is your creative area. It's kind of like the, where the magic happens, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of where you do the grunt work of wargaming. Because let's be honest, this is a hobby where we don't spend most of our time playing games. Or at least most of us don't. Um, I'm sure there's somebody out there that does. But unlike people who like play FPS games who spend most of their time playing whatever FPS game they like... Um, we can't do that. We have to get a sprue, cut everything off the sprue, clean up that model that we just clipped off the sprue. Maybe you sand it, maybe you file it, maybe you got a hobby knife to it. You got to clean it up. And then you're going to have to glue it all together, let it sit, glue it to a base, put something on the base to put some texture on it. And then you got to prime it. After you prime it, you might be zenithaling, but you know, you might do a second type of prime. After that, you got a base coat. You're going to probably end up washing of some sort. Maybe you're airbrushing. You might be edge highlighting. I mean, who knows what kind of detail work you're doing. OSL effects and cracked earth. I mean, texturing the list goes on and on. And all that yep. stuff universally takes up a lot of time. Um, 
And I think that is the kind of revelation that is the most important to get to at the start of this is that you're spending most of your time in your hobby space and not your game space. And that means you should probably take some time to really think about that space you're in because you're going to be there for quite a while just by nature of the activity. I mean, it's kind of like when people say have a nice bed because you're there for longer than you think. Uh, same thing applies here. And with you being there for so long, anything you could do to make it a more enjoyable experience or an easier experience or at least a, a more efficient experience might make your hobby efforts go further than if you, you know, kind of didn't think about it at all. And well... I think like the first step, right? The first step for a hobby space is determine how much space you have and what you can and cannot do in this hobby space, right? Oh, yeah. Like in my current hobby space, I want to start working on terrain stuff, but I don't really have the space for it, right? It requires a lot of like storage. It requires a lot of like on-hand materials to kind of work with. And I'm kind of a chaotic builder and like painter, and that I'm just kind of got stuff all over the place when I'm working on stuff. And I know that that's not like my current space is not conducive to that. So I'm not going to set myself up for failure by buying all this terrain stuff and not have the hobby space for it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that's fair. And having realistic expectations of what you can do is always helpful. Because uh, you, you want to be, you know... Every advantage that you can get, you want to get, but if you try to push yourself too far, you might give yourself just enough line to hurt yourself with, and nobody wants that. Um, for example, for me, when I started, uh, I was in an apartment that I was sharing with two other people, and we were all crammed in, so space really wasn't a whole lot of extra space anywhere by nature of what we could afford. So my hobby space was just a little tote with paints in it. And I would just put it out on a table. Not even the same table, just a table. And that was yep. what I started. Oh, and a, a single paint cup with some brushes in it. That that was the hobby space I could have and use. Maybe a little bit of newspaper on the table if you got lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't have a cutting mat or anything like that. Um, you just worked with what you had. And... In that case, I at least knew what my limits were because if someone said, oh, you know, start converting stuff, I could very quickly go, no, <laughs> no, I don't even have places to like put a couple models, much less a bunch of models to cut up and then use some, you know, filling material and sculpt and yada, yada, yada. or uh, an airbrush. Couldn't do it. Didn't have room for an airbrush. Wanted one. Oh, yeah. Didn't have room. Um, That's where I'm at right now. Can't get an airbrush right now until I get a bigger hobby space. Because I just, the, the compressor and everything, I need to be able to spray without ruining other things. Mm -hmm. This is all hand painting for me still. Well, and also, sound is a component, you know? Uh, if you live in a place with other people, you might need to consider not only, like, the physical constraints, but sort of the collateral impacts of what you're doing. You know, an airbrush compressor, they're not super loud, but they're certainly on. So if you're sharing like a one-bedroom apartment with somebody, might be kind of cool to make sure that they're okay with that and hearing that noise. Yep. Um, or a 3D printer. They're definitely much more quiet now than they used to be, 
but there's still some noise. And again, if you're in a one-bedroom place with somebody, I want to make sure that they're cool with that before you necessarily cram one in there somewhere. So even if you and do you have know. the physical space, you might not have the sort of social space, I guess I'll call it. Yeah, and then, you know, if you want to get into 3D printing, you're going to need an entire workstation for that because you're going to need to take the models out and process them and there's like chemicals involved and there could be, you know, fumes and smells and all this or that and they make noise when they're running. So you you need to be able to assess what you are wanting to do with the hobby in this space for now and make it work towards that for you. Uh, well, Joe, what's some ways that you've made like the bad space work for you? And then when you got a slightly better space, what were some upgrades you made? Because I think that's where most people sit, where they don't have a dedicated hobby space, mm -hmm. but they might have like a small portion of a room that has like a desk, maybe like a side desk they can put stuff on. Okay, so first and foremost, I'll start with, you know, my, kind of my my rough setup where I just had like two little plastic containers, one with models, one with paint. Um, the first thing I did was get those plastic totes because before I had totes, I just sort of had paints and boxes and models in different small boxes, kind of like start collecting boxes thrown around. And that wasn't working. <laughs> um, I, when I would want to go hobby, I would kind of get the urge of, yeah, let's like paint something. And then I would think, oh man, you don't even know where it is. You have to find it before you would start hobbying. And then if you found it, you have to go find your paints. You don't even know where the two paints you need to hobby with are. You'd have to search for that. You'd have to search for a model. And you'd, you know, you might as well not even hobby. You only have like two hours. Who knows how long it'll take to search. And like your brain starts doing crappy things to you. Um, or at least mine does. I can't speak for everybody. So what I did to counteract it is I made my tiny lack of hobby space more efficient. I got two totes. One for my models, because I didn't have many, and uh, one for my paints, because again, I didn't have many, and I kept them in those totes, and anytime they left the totes, when I was done, they would immediately go back to their tote, and they were labeled on the top, models, paints. So that way, when I got the urge to hobby, there was no searching for anything. I simply went to the closet, I pulled them out, and I set them on a table. That was absolutely revolutionary for me. Because the it sort of removed some of the roadblocks for hobbying, you know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I am, over time, slowly, my wife is pointing out that uh, I have a lot of symptoms of uh, ADD that I was never tested for as a kid. And You don't say. And this is a fellow <laughs> ADHD man. And this is apparently one of them. Um, and it's just... As I've always done, as I said, I never got tested. I just sort of find workarounds for myself. And this is one that I did. I just made it so easy that when my brain tries to bully me into not hobbying, I bully it back by saying, you know, it's all right there. Let's go. Yeah, I do something similar. When I didn't have like a, a desk at all for hobbying, mm -hmm. I just had like the kitchen table. I too kept things in little plastic totes with like cookie trays for the models that weren't completed mm -hmm. and then a separate tote for the completed models. And then I would also, like, I had accumulated a large paint collection because I was buying paints for all sorts of different stuff. Um, and so it can be kind of overwhelming to, like, pick and choose what paints you're going to use. So if I know what I'm doing that night or, like, my goal for that week is maybe base coat 30 guys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I know I need these three paints to do my base coating and, like, a shade paint, right? Mm -hmm. I'd pull those out and put them on the cookie tray with it. 
And then I would like prep all my, my brushes on another day. Maybe like take some of the steps of doing hobby and turn that into what you do for hobby for that day if you have like a particularly busy schedule. So when you go to sit down, you just pull the toad out, you sit down at the table, you pop it open, you pull out the sheet, and it's got everything you need. It's like um it's like when you're cooking, you want to set up all the ingredients outside of the fridge and the cupboard ahead of time so you're not searching for stuff while you're in the middle of like making the food mm -hmm. and much like with cooking you don't want to be rooting around while your hands are messy with paint or thinner or whatever else that you've been getting into um personally i love to just shove my hands into just raw ground pork and then touch everything in the kitchen <sighs> it's my favorite thing uh, to do. john i hope you know somewhere my wife is cursing your existence as she listens to this i expect her to scream at me yes uh somewhere you've just been cursed from across the ether prepare yourself um <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way to move forward. And I think it kind of dovetails to my second thing I, I would highly recommend for your hobby space. Whether it's small or you got yourself a table. Um, if you, In either case, keep your hobby space clean and organized as much as possible. And of course, different people have different tolerances for this. Um, but I find for me, if my hobby space is cluttered, with old projects that I struggle to want to come back over and work on them. Cause again, I can't help but think, man, you don't even have the room to like lay out the batch of models that you need. Like you're doing a like 10 man batch. You don't have room for that. And you'd have to like take all the other models off the table and you'd have to put them in cases and, you know, organize them. Maybe they need magnets, blah, 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 blah. So for me, I cut that off at the pass by making sure that my hobby space is organized and clear. At least mostly clear. You might have some stuff around, but you know you want to have a nice, open, inviting workstation for whatever that means for you. Because uh, if you let it get too gunked up, it might be kind of hard. Well, uh, on the other side, on the flip side, what I do is I have a small like writing desk next to my actual desk and my small little alcove for where I like have a PC and I record the show and play video games and paint. It's my own little like space. Uh, I have bought specifically a small, cheap like writing desk to keep all my miniatures and paints and stuff on that I work on. Mm -hmm. I purposefully leave models on this all the time because I'm in this space so often that I have to look at these models and go, I need to work on those. Like I need to come up with a plan to work on those again because much also I get distracted easy just like Joe. And if I have to look at it, I have to remember it. And when I remember it, I'm going to want to work on it. But I, I do this by putting a reasonable amount of miniatures on that table. You know, a squad of guys, maybe a character or two. And then I have to look at it and re be reminded, do this thing. Do this thing. Mm -hmm. Take some time. Do it. Yeah, it kind of keeps and, it in I your keep head. the rest of it clean. It keeps it yeah, relevant. Keep the rest of it clean. Um, also... I know, again, space is weird for a lot of people. So I'm going to make this one as vague as possible. Get a hobby surface as fast as you can. Now, that might mean you clear out a spot at a dining room table. That might mean you go out and you get a table that you're going to use specifically for hobbying. If you do, highly recommend a like glass-topped table that's like really, really durable. I found one that's great from Ikea. If anybody wants recommendations, let me know. Uh, or if you're, if space is a primo issue before I ended up getting a like dedicated hobby desk 
I went and got myself a fold-out table that I could tuck away in a closet when I wasn't using it. And, you know, at hobby time, I would bust it out and unfold it in front of, like, uh, the couch or in front of a dining room table or chair or something like that. And I would use that as my dedicated hobby space. And I say you need this as soon as possible for two reasons. One, because it's just so much easier. Like, it's just easier. Uh, you're not worried about damaging it because it's only used for this purpose. So if it gets paint on it, whatever. And I assure you it will get paint on it. Uh, also, there is something to be said about the human mind and ceremony. Um, I don't want to get too sort of... Uh, neurological on us but we are creatures getting of big brain getting big brain on this episode Joe. Yeah, we are creatures who are cerebral and neurological by nature and our brain forges new pathways when we have new experiences and once a pathway is forged it more easily takes that pathway in the future because it's already set and that's how a lot of us build habits we don't know that's how we build habits but that's how we build habits so over time, if you go to get in this hobby space, especially if you're someone who struggles with sort of motivation, once you get it folded out and you sit down in front of it with your tote of stuff, your brain is going to start to kick into hobby mode. It just will, especially with enough repetition. And when it kicks into hobby mode, you might find it's a little easier to keep going and hobbying than it was for you to start. Just because it's trained to all right, I'm at the table, time to do the thing. And that could be really helpful for hobbyists, especially if you're, you know, kind of like me and you struggle to do the, like, five hours of painting a day. And, you know, getting a table can be dual purpose, right? If you buy one of those, like, plastic six-by-three folding tables, um, one of those is half of a regular table. If you get two of them, throw a, like, game mat over it, and you have your own gaming table now. Yep. And they're not that expensive in the grand scheme of things. You know, maybe don't buy another squad of dudes and buy some of these tables. Like, they're going to change the way you do everything. They're easy to store and keep away and clean and everything else. It It's a space-saving tool. Mm-hmm. And once you have that space, I argue that one of the first things you should do after getting that space is find a easy access place for your paints. Whether that's a shelving unit, whether it's something you make, whether you buy some nail polish holders, whether you buy the GW branded ones, whatever you do, find some way of keeping your paints easily accessible so you can pull them out, put them away, easy, you can look at them, they'll help you motivate because you look at all these colors. And it just, it just changes it in a way that it's hard to explain until you start doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Fully agreed. I mean, after I got my, like, glass table for hobbying, uh, the second thing I bought was a sort of roll-around hobby cart, essentially. I think it's actually meant to be used for, like, scrapbooking supplies, but it works great for tabletop hobbying. Uh, my top two drawers are for paints. Top drawer is for cool colors. Second drawer is for warm colors. My third color is for assembly supplies, so that's you know, uh, glue, sanding sticks, hobby knives, uh, different types of, you know, uh, mold filler materials, resin, blah, blah, blah. Next drop down is basing materials. 
And then uh, next one down is miscellaneous hobby supplies that don't really fall into anything else. And then the other four drawers are purely for storing hobby projects that you want to clear off the table. And it is a game changer, absolute game changer, to have a big space on a table and also get the utility of having totes that are clearly labeled, just, you know, in a more efficient configuration. It's just so much easier to fight your brain. And I'm a huge fan. Uh, I think I got the roll around little cart thing for like 45 bucks at a Michael's store. I'm sure yeah. anybody could find just about the same somewhere else, depending where you are in the world. And uh, you have to go to a flea market and find something similar that works for you. You'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. Or uh, sort of uh, office uh, surplus places where they like just sell drawing shelving units and stuff. You could probably find something that works for you somewhere for cheap. And for that small investment, it has just made hobbying much, much easier for me. Um, and that was kind of, you know, what I just described is my tier, what I'll call the second tier setup. You know, tier one was when I had the, the totes and I didn't really have my own table. Uh, tier two is having a, a table that is like glass topped for easy cleaning that I can airbrush on along with the, the roll-around hobby stand with an airbrush on top of it and all the drawers that I can put stuff in. That is sort of my tier two. But John, my question is, what is tier three? Because I'm about to have a whole damn room for it, and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I'm kind of like a, a dog that's chasing a car, and that car just stopped at a red light, and I've touched the bumper with my nose, and I don't know what to do now. Well, let me, let me pitch an idea for you, because this is also something I've been thinking about as I am looking at potentially growing my hobby space, is the biggest step up next from this is atmosphere, mm -hmm. right? When you have a whole room where you can 3D print miniatures now, you can airbrush, you can store a bunch of stuff, you can have a bunch of different projects in the wings, you can have it on the walls. What else can you do? Well, I think that the first thing that makes it so much better and makes it easier to want to do this thing is put up some art for maybe the projects you're working on. Make a board where you put, you know, inspirational pictures for maybe a conversion you're doing. Or like, I'm working on the Dominion stuff. So I take the Dominion art piece that comes from it and I have it in my little hobby space. And I'm looking at it as I'm painting and it's, it's helping me build a narrative. It's helping me like paint and work. It's great. Mm -hmm. So a sort of mood board of sorts. Yeah, and you know, put in lights in the room that you like that aren't the lights you use to see the models and paint. Maybe you like those LED lights that change color and they're like kind of faint on like the the top of the wall. You know, do that. Put up some posters. Uh, I'm a huge fan of music, and I I cannot work on models just in silence. Can't I can't it. do it either. I'll go nuts. I either need to be listening to a podcast or like watching TV or like listening to music, something. Mm -hmm. And for me, I like doing those things in different kind of like ways. You know, if I'm listening to a podcast, I like wearing headphones, right? If I'm watching TV, I prefer to see it and hear it like in the open space, not with headphones on. Mm -hmm. If I'm watching YouTube, it's kind of a toss up. But if I'm listening to music, I kind of want to hear it from a speaker. So maybe set up some speakers so that you can surround yourself with music. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of punk music, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the past when I've had to work on my own cars where I've had to like work on an outdoor project or like I'm cooking and I have the ability to, I will like play music, like loud, fast, angry music in this space around me. And it puts me into like a certain mindset of creativity. 
because I'm surrounded by it, right? I'm in it, in this space, and then I can paint in that space, and I, I it brings a certain energy to it. I, I even take it as far as where I will build, like, mood playlists of music for painting certain forces. So, like, I've got music I listen to that makes me feel more like the heroic Stormcast, and then, like, other stuff that makes me think of, like, World Eaters or Skaven. And I will listen to that type of music while I'm painting to get me, like, in that mindset to start making weird choices while painting. Hmm, yeah. I do enjoy the idea of music. Um, and I think, you're right, I think ambiance is what starts to kind of matter at that stage. Because it's really, you've got everything you need to, like, survive in the hobby, so to speak. Um, and you've even got, like, airbrush at this point. So, like, in the space, you're kind of, your needs are met. Now it's just about the accents. Um, I think also, it's kind of like what you mentioned earlier with your little side table. I think uh, maybe a display case or two to put models in uh, might help me quite a bit. Uh, so one, oh, I yeah. can look at the completed stuff and go, man, I did a good job on that. And look at the unpainted stuff and go, oh my god, I need to paint that. <laughs> and uh, to kind of keep things moving uh, so that I am always looking at the models rather than tucking them away in a closet and then forgetting about them. Well, it also builds like a sense of pride and like motivation, right? So like if you have a display case and you've got this like 2000 points of say Sylvanath that look beautiful, you love them. You put them on the top shelf, you look at them every time you turn the light on in the room and you look at it. It's going to motivate you to keep wanting to paint so that you can put more stuff in that shelf. So it's entertaining, you know, when you bring people over to, to see your stuff. And they look in the display case and I'm like, oh, wow, you painted all this stuff? And you'd be like, yeah, I painted all this stuff. And, you know, maybe you'll make a diorama to put in there with, like, the models to make it, like, themed. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff you can do with it. You can be as creative with your hobby space at that point that you are with your hobby. I think that's very important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's some gas in that tank. I also think I'm going to paint the room. Um, so, like, I know about diddly squat about interior design okay i know much about interior design as i do about eldar okay and by that i mean nothing but um i've been told that like accent walls with different colors can help uh encourage different moods in humans and there's some surprising scientific data to back it up i kind of thought it was all hokum uh i was wrong apparently and I'm thinking also, maybe I will use that as a way to, like, brighten up the space and make it feel a little more vibrant. Yeah, I can see that. Rather than kind of just all white everywhere, white walls, white ceiling, uh, white closet doors, um, I find it's just kind of sterile. Yeah, and, like, that's also where getting some, like, props or things would would help. Like, I, I'm going to say a thing. I... Sorry if anybody finds this morbid, um, but whenever I get my own hobby space, one of the first things I want to try to do is get a taxidermy raccoon that I put a little Hawaiian shirt on with like a Mountain Dew can and a cigarette in his hand. I think this would be great. He's going to be my little buddy. He's going to hang in there with me. <laughs> and I'm going to talk to him while I paint miniatures. And like some people are going to think that's super weird, but I'm going to show him these little miniatures and be like, what do you think, buddy? You think they look pretty good? And like this thing ain't going to talk back to me, but it's like a nice little exercise for me of like... You know, feeling more engaged in this space. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one of those people where I grew up in, like, I didn't grow up in, like, middle class, nice, like, suburban neighborhoods, right? Like, I lived in 
southern florida like it's crazy like south central florida like it's weird so i prefer a more chaotic strange space you know weird colors different things like i don't i personally don't like a sterile space i have different vibes i want in a room and if the vibe is off i can't work in it like it makes it difficult to be creative and open with myself and my art and that I think that's very important in your own space, and that's how you can kind of take everything to a next level, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, don't get me wrong, this apartment we're in—it's—I've lived in awful apartments. This one's not awful; it's just sterile. And like the place I'm in, it's the room is all white, and there's not very much light that comes in, and it's just—it doesn't make me want to be creative. I'll put it that way. Uh, and I feel like anything I could do to fight that in the new space would maybe do me some good. So some paint or like maybe that custodies spear, that like seven foot tall custodian guard spear, put that on the wall. Kind of sick. Oh, no. Some... You're making me want to get that gore child that he makes. Oh, g- tell me that wouldn't be sick in your hobby space. It would be great. It would be, it'd be wonderful. I'll put, a, I'll put it right above... The taxidermy raccoon? Yeah. Yeah. We'll call the raccoon Slaughter Son. He hangs out under Gore Child. Yeah. You gotta you have to get one of those talking like a bass fish for your hobby space. Oh, you just got to. Oh, it will make you do it. It's so trashy and I'd break down the property values of the whole neighborhood and I love it. Yeah. Um I think there's something to that, just to kind of like, for the people out there, remember the vibe of your room. I'm I'm not really prone to sort of the, like, energies that the room puts off. But, like, you know, a room has a certain feel to it. Um, as much as you can, you want to try to use that to your advantage. Make the feel of the room work for you. And I think that's kind of what Tier 3 creators have done so well, is that they look forward to being in their hobby space. They want to be creative when they're in there. It kind of helps them motivate themselves to keep on going. Uh, it won't do all of it, but any little advantage matters, especially as we said earlier, because you're doing this hobby for so long, you get a lot more bang for your buck when you try to improve the process. And this is just another step on that journey. However... And you know, if if you ever plan on... We, we've discussed, right, like painting on a stream maybe in the future. Well, hobby space is crucial for doing that because you need somewhere to put like cameras and lighting and all that other stuff. So think of that too. Like, are, are you wanting to do that in the future? Are you wanting to like take pictures of your models? Maybe you want to have a little photo area, uh, you know, it's things like that. Keep all that stuff in mind when you're building your hobby space, when you've got that opportunity to do so. And really kind of just go wild with it. Make it yours. You know, we spend so much time making these miniatures ours. We write stories for them. We paint them in specific ways. Like, we become very proud of them, regardless if they're golden, deep in quality or not. You should be proud of them in your hobby space, whether it's the best one. Like, out there, like, Instagram-worthy or whatever. It's still yours. Make it yours. Make it work for you. And I think that's the most important part of making a hobby space, is make it, make it, your place to do this thing and just really enjoy it and kind of have a little you time while working on this stuff. Yeah, make it a refuge for your day where you can just relax. And I think if you do that, no matter what you end up doing, you're probably going to be in a better place than you are now.
But with that being said, I'm betting, John, that we probably missed some stuff. Because, <laughs> let's be honest, we're not experts on how to build a hobby space. We we aren't streamers who have been painting for hundreds of hours in front of people. We aren't designing backdrops for videos or anything like that. At least not yeah, you're yet. An outdoors, you're an outdoors guy, and I'm, I work in a warehouse with, like, numbers. Yeah, you know, we are not pros in this place. Uh, this is just kind of our ideas. So for people out there, maybe some of you are more uh, inclined to interior design, or maybe you've been doing this for longer, and maybe you've already got a tier three hobby space that you've kind of been working at for a while. And if you are, y'all, we would love to hear your ideas, because if we miss some stuff, uh, in this episode more than any other, I want to know, because I'm about to design a hobby space, and uh, if y'all could help me, it would be much appreciated. <laughs> Uh, you could reach out to us in the YouTube comment section down below if you're listening to us there. Or if you're on Anchor, you can reach out to us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, always like to talk to folks over there because uh, I, you know, we take your recommendations and we incorporate them to the show. But now I would love to incorporate them into my first house. <laughs> it, uh, this is a group effort and all of the ideas. I'd love to have them. And if uh, you need some more tips for hobby stuff, let us know. We'll try to help you out depending on your specific hobby setup. See if we can't give you some more uh, unique advice if you need it. Maybe you got a particular sort of challenge you need help brainstorming around. We got you. Reach out to us. But for now, I think that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide Kentucky Fried. We'll see you all in the next one.